0: I give you some notes that I want you to look at this morning, and the reason is because when I listen sometime to some of these that are on the radio, you would think the preacher who knows Hebrew and Greek really got it down. And they don't. They don't understand some of the simplest things. Here at Calvary Community Church, we believe that we are clear on the gospel. At least that's one of our banners that we hang out, you know. This is a clear gospel preaching church. We make it clear. But sometimes the preacher wonders, do you really get it? So this morning we're going to have a test. Don't be looking at your paper. You put that paper down. Stop peeking. I hate it when people cheat. So I want you to kind of bear with me a little bit this morning. I'm back in that... College mode, you know. So now i got to find out where you stand, what you believe. I want you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter in chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is on page 13, 14 in a Bible that's loaned to you. But there's a verse here that kind of gives us an idea that we should always be instant in season, out of season, says in Timothy but ready to give an answer to anyone that might ask us a reason of the hope that lies within us. In other words, can you uh, tell somebody, explain to somebody the gospel? Can you really explain how verses are used in the Scriptures, discern it and rightly divide it and help them with the Christian life or various problems? Well, here in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15, it says, "...but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts." And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. It means in submission and out of respect. Can you explain things to somebody else? So what I want you to do is look there at this little diagnostic test. And you can take and mark it if you want to as we go, or you're afraid of somebody seeing your wrong answer, don't put anything down. And just mentally choose. So when I cover one particular point, you mentally, you look at it and decide if you got the right answer. And then when the whole thing is over with and you walk out the door and you won't shake my hand, it's because I know you miss (laughs) some, and you're mad at me. Because you knew you were right and you find out the preacher says you were wrong and you're not going to stand for that. So you're not going to speak to him. Probably never come back to church again. Number one, what is the power of God unto salvation? Now, don't speak out. I just want you to look at your paper. What is the power of God unto salvation? Now, you've been here long enough. You know these answers. You ought to get a hundred on this. Is it the golden rule? He who makes the gold rules, the golden rule, you know, do unto others before they do unto you. Is it the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, or is it the Gospel? I wonder which one it is. Now, you should mark the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You don't have to live by the Golden Rule. You don't have to obey the Beatitudes and blessed are those in poor in spirit and hunger and thirst and all that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to keep reciting the Lord's Prayer. Because in Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, it says, For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Everyone. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Everyone that believes. So the only thing you have to do is believe. But you know there's some people who don't believe that. There are preachers that don't believe that. They believe you have to live by the golden rule also. You know, it helps. Oh, well. So I know that everyone in here, you got the first one right. Number two. What is a good way to point out to a person that he is a sinner? A good way to point out to somebody that they're a sinner. You simply walk up to them, and you simply say it like this. You are a dirty, lousy, stinking, rotten, good-for-nothing, low-down skunk. Now, you told them that they were a sinner. But now, that might not be the best way to do it. You may not ever witness to another person when he gets through with you. Minds me and my brother one time. We used to always drive those buses over the road, you know. We stopped at these truck stops, and we turned the kids loose. And he'd be driving one bus, I'd be driving the next bus, and my brother would walk down. He'd look at some of those great big old truck drivers that come in there, you know. and They got that black cigar, and they got those tattoos all over. the have big old muscles. So my brother would walk up to him and says, "What's your name?" He said, "Blah blah blah blah." He'd write it down. He'd walk up to somebody, "What's your name?" He'd write it down. He came me this great big old guy, He'd said, "What's your name?" He wrote it down. He said, "What do you want to know for?" He said, "I just write down the names of every man I can whoop." That guy stood up and looked down at my brother. and says, you can't whoop me. He said, okay, I'll take your name off. <laughs> That's repentance. That's when you change your mind. Whenever you really understand, you have to change your mind about some things. And one is that you can't save yourself. It's not by the things that you do. So trying to explain to somebody that they are a sinner can be a lot of fun. You got to be careful. Or how would you tell them? Would you just ask? You ask him, "Are you a sinner?" And some people will say, "No, I never robbed a bank. I have never committed adultery. I'm not a sinner." No. And there's people that believe that because they haven't done those really bad ones. Oh, I've told a little white lie. Of course, they're colored blind, but they don't really understand what is a sinner. Well, if you're not perfect, you're a sinner. So simple. Look at the next point. Show him verses that tell him what sin is. You can do that if you've got enough time. But you want them to understand this, and it's best to always explain it. We're all sinners. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. In other words, instead of just telling them how bad they are, you want to include yourself because, what do you think? You're so much better than they are. You know, I had a good report last night. Somebody called me up. His name was Jesse Martinez. Y'all ever heard of him? Called me up, and he says they had some people trust the Lord. He says preacher, it's quite a story. So I'm going to have him tell a little bit about that tonight. I says, because um, I knew that last week they had about seven, I think, trust the Lord on Friday night. This week they had 63. They called up and said they had 63 trust the Lord on Friday night. it And... I don't know if that's the most I've ever had, but that's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. And so um, I I can't wait to hear his story. I hope he didn't tell them that they are sinners the way that I told them to hear. You explained that, yes, we have all sinned. Everybody's a sinner. Look at number three. Number three, what does the Bible say the penalty of sin is? What is the penalty for sin? Is it death, penance, good works, repentance? What do you have to do to pay for your sins? Now there are some people say that you have to do penance. You got to take it, be sorry, and turn from your sins, and stop this, and stop that, and join this, and join that, and you got to be, you know, do all these things, and do this, and this, and this, and this, and and, and do a rosary, or you know, uh, do prayers, or whatever you got to do, and kneel, and bend, and bow, and what is the payment for sin? The Bible says, and where is it found? Romans what? Romans six twenty-three for the wages of sin is death. Wages is death. That's why when Christ came into the world, he didn't come and do penance to pay for our sins. He didn't come and have to do repentance or penance. He didn't have to do anything like that. He didn't give money to pay for our sins. What did he do to pay for our sins? He died. That's all he had to do. He died to pay for our sins in our place. And the only thing you and I have to do to go to heaven, believe that he did it for us. And God will save us and give us as a free gift, everlasting life. So in number three, the right answer would be what? Death. Number four, how good does a person have to be to go to heaven? Oh, that's a good one. I think they ought to be pretty good. What do you think they ought to be pretty good? They ought to be pretty good. Sincerely trying to you, at least if you're trying to be good. I've asked people, where are you going to go when you die? Well, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. I hope I make it. I'm hanging in there. When they answer like that, you know automatically they don't get it, do they? Because they don't understand the only thing they have to do to go to heaven is simply believe. And the reason is because. You have to be perfect to go to heaven, and by your works, you cannot be perfect. Where in the world does it say, is there anywhere in the Bible, that you're saved by grace without works? I wonder if there's a verse in the Bible that says that. Well, you and I know what it is, and we'll get to it in just a second. Next one I want to mention, out is the words perfectly righteous. You have to be perfect to go to heaven. And I mentioned to you before, but let me just kind of run it by you again. Because this really happened. You would think, well, everybody knows that they're they're a sinner. I mean, nobody's perfect. Everybody knows that. But I was actually in Colorado, and I got on this plane, and I had to fly to Florida. And got on this plane, and there was nobody sitting beside me. And so I said, Lord, I sure would like to have somebody that would sit there, and then they have to sit there, and then they can't move. So they have to sit there beside me because I know what I'd like to do. I want to talk to somebody. But everybody came in and it seemed like there's nobody else going to come in. And finally, one lady walks down the aisle. She came on and she was dressed in silk wrapped from the head all the way to the feet. And when she walked, the, the uh, parts of it, it was just all flowery, like just moving all over the place, you know. And uh, I could tell that she was of a, a different, no, descent. She had a you can tell she was, she's not an American, I can tell that. I don't believe that. I might be wrong, but she walked on down, and I was wondering, where is she going to sit? And she sat right beside me. I thought, a victim. So the plane took off, and I started making some conversation. I says, um, can I ask you a question? Yeah." I said, where are you from? She says, Peru. I said, where? She says, Peru. I was starting to have hearing problems back then, too. And uh, I says, Peru? Yeah, Peru. I says, "Um, what are you doing here in Denver? She says, Mahiraji. I said, what? She says, Mahiraji. The only thing I knew about Mahiraji was supposed to be some fat guy that sits around contemplating his navel. Mahiraji. I didn't know it. So uh, I said, well, what are you doing here in Denver? She says, me study about Mahiraji. I said, well... Can I ask you a question? She said, "Sure." I says, "Um, where are you going to go when you die? She says, me go to heaven. I says, how do you know? She says, me perfect. (laughs) Now, I've been around for a while. I have never met a person who actually says, I'm perfect. I says, you're not perfect. She says, yeah, me perfect. Now, I can't get her saved because i got to get her lost. I know she's not perfect, but she thinks she is. So I thought for a while, and she'd look up in her little book that she had on words, and she would explain some things, and we'd talk back and forth. And then she had a pencil in her hand, and she'd write and so forth, and then she'd underline, and then she'd erase a little bit, and she'd write. And I thought, you know perfect. She said, yeah, be perfect. I said, no. I said, you know perfect. I says, you write, and then you erase. You erase because you're making a mistake. And right there on the plane, she goes And the the, the students, they come running down the aisle. They thought I didn't attack this woman. I touched this woman, scared me to death. She screamed, that high squeal. And she just "Mm," and never talked to me for the rest of the trip. So it's easy to prove to somebody they're a sinner. All you have to do is give them a pencil. They're making a a mistake. Everybody makes a mistake, but it should be the simplest thing in the world. And so you really just want to say, look, you have to be perfect to go to heaven. Look at number five. In what way do you think good works helps a person to have eternal life? By making him more Christ-like. Do you think good works will help a person to have eternal life? So just make him more Christ-like. By showing he is trying to be good, by showing he is a disciple of Christ, or in no way? Which one is the right answer? Number five, which is the right answer? In no way. Good works cannot help a person have eternal life. And yet you would be surprised how many people would think, well, you have to do something. Do you believe that a Christian Ought to go to church, or should go to church, or have to go to church? You see, he ought to go, he should go, but he doesn't have to go. You mean to tell me a Christian can be a Christian and not go to church? Yes. Can a Christian be a Christian and not turn from his sins and still be a Christian? Yeah. Are you trying to tell me you can live like you please and still go to heaven when you die? Do you really believe that? It's the truth. That's the truth. You mean you don't have to give any money to go to heaven? Not a penny. And you'll go to heaven? Yeah. Did you know there's a lot of preachers that said, no, 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 no. If you're really saved, if you're really saved. You see, you're saved because God gave you the faith to believe. And if He gave you the faith to believe, He gave you the faith to persevere to the end of your life. That means that if you're really a Christian, you will be able to persevere all the days of your life. But if you don't, it's a sign you never were really saved. You say, people don't preach that. I'm afraid so. It was on the radio this week, several times. And it burns me. I don't like that. So if you look here at number five, In no way, because it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of what? Not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast, lest any man could brag about, look who I am and look what I have done. Number six, when Christ died on the cross, what sin did He pay for? What sin did He pay for? Was it Adam's sin only? Or our past sins? See, a lot of people believe that when Christ died, he died for my past sins. Now he is simply gonna help me live good enough to make it. And if I live good enough with his help, then I'll get to be saved and get to go to heaven when I die. Isn't that a wonderful? He gives me this head start. He cleans the past, but now I've got to walk that straight and narrow way if I want to finally make it to heaven. Is that the gospel? That's not the gospel. That is not the good news. Well, did he pay for the sins of the elect only? See, a lot of people finally leave. He didn't have to die for everybody's sins. He just had to die for those he chose to save. And a host of people preached that around the country. But is it the truth? It's not the truth. Christ, in number six, is the sins of the whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. Not just some of the world, but all the world. So therefore, we believe that when Christ went to the cross, it was because God so loved the world, not just a few people in the world, and He only died for just those people. No, no. The Bible does not teach that, and they are in error. Number seven, what must a person do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and turn from his sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be water baptized. Or just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Which one of these is the right answer? Anybody got a clue? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that's all you have to do. If you add those other things on it, you don't have a chapter and verse to prove it. You can't back that up with Scripture. There is no scripture that says that's what you have to do to be saved. Not one. But there's a multitude of verses that says just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He that believeth in Him. As many as received Him. It's always a gift. And all you're doing is accepting what Christ did on the cross for you. When you say you're saved by grace, but you got to add something to it. You just annull the gift. You see, you're not saved by grace and works. Because grace is the absence of that, work. And work is the absence of grace, being free. It's either got to be free, or you got to work for it. It can't be both ways. So the test of the gospel is grace. It has to be free, and it has to last forever. It has to be free. You don't work for it, you don't pay for it. By any deeds that you do, you cannot add one work to it. And it must last forever. Because if it can't last forever, it's because you added a work in there or you eliminated something that you should have done. So if it depends upon you, then it's not of God. It's not by grace. So important. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that alone. And God said that He would save you and give you as a free gift everlasting life. Look at number eight. A person can know he has eternal life if he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and serves Him. Now, nobody's against people serving God, so you know that has to be right. He believes on the name of the Son of God. Well, that, that can't be enough. I mean, that's you know, necessary, but not, can't be sufficient. He believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and endures to the end. Now, you've heard that you've got to endure to the end. The same shall be saved. Those that endure to the end. So if you don't endure to the end, my friend, you can't be saved. So which is the right answer? A person can know he has eternal life if he endures to the end. Well, if he does, then he has to wait to the end to find out if he endures, right? So that means he can't know now. He has to endure to the end. Or he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and serves him. Okay, now you've got a question about it. Okay, how much service do I have to give? How long? How dedicated? How much? What church? How much money? Exactly. What if I'm going to give exactly, what a, okay, pray, all right. how, how many prayers do I have to make? How sincere do had have to be? How many times do I have to pray five times a day? Uh, Muslims have to pray five times a day. Uh, how many times do I got to do it? Six. We've got to do better than them. So you see, when you start adding anything to it, you just added doubts and questions to your salvation. Or if it's something that God's going to save you at the end, if you, if you, if, 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 then that means your salvation depends on you performing. That means that your salvation was not a gift. It wasn't free. Christ didn't give it to you. That you're not saved by grace. Because you're going to be judged by your works to see whether you've made it or not. No, the only answer up here that's right is believe in the name of the Son of God. By believing on Christ, as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. You become God's child. That day, that moment, you trusted Christ as Savior. Well, people say, well, if you're really saved, you're going to serve the Lord. Okay, if you're really saved, and you're going to serve the Lord, then why would God ever have to chasten any of His children? What would chastening be for? If they are automatically going to, guaranteed, serve the Lord, then why is God chastening His children and taking some home in advance? Because, you see, if you don't live right, your Heavenly Father is going to chasten you. Now, if you can't mess up your life and ruin your life and shame your life, then how come He's able to chasten you as though you were His child? Are you His child or not His child? I've said this before. We've had three children. Hard way. One wife, Three children in our family. And when they're obedient, they're mine. When they're disobedient, they're hers. No, whether they're obedient or disobedient, they're still my kids. And so that means that just because those kids are yours, they're automatically going to serve you and do right, right? Is it guaranteed? It don't work, does it? And neither does it work with this idea. So yes, God will chasten you because you are His child. And the reason He can chasten you is because you're still His child when you were rebelling against the Lord. When you did live as you please, you're still His child. And if you go trying to change all of this because it makes it compatible with what everybody else teaches and so forth, you're never going to be clear, and you're never going to have peace of mind. I don't owe anybody out there an explanation. Of why God does what He does. Except what He reveals in His Word. And what He has revealed in His Word, salvation is free. Any way you cut it, you can't earn it. No way possible. And once you have it, you can't lose it. And I don't care how that sounds to anybody. And whether it sounds fair or just or whatever, it's the way it is. God said it. That settles it. Whether anybody wants to believe it or not, it is still the truth. And I don't have to, and I've told people this, I will state my position, but I'm not interested in debating my position as though I might be wrong, because I've said settled that too. I know what this book says, and I believe it. I've had people call me up sometime and they want to correct me. They got, there's always people trying to correct me. Some of them are trying to correct me because they read Dr. Hank Linson's articles on the Bible line. And said, you know you said this and you said that. I said, well, I I didn't say that. Hank Linsome said that. Go get him. He said, well, where's he at? Can I talk to him? I said, sure. He's in heaven. Go get him. So, I want to defend my position, but just to get in a big argument with somebody, it's a waste of time. Now, if you want to listen to what I said, listen to what I'm saying. And when I get through speaking, you either agree or you disagree. But don't talk to me like you're going to change my mind. I've already made up my mind. I teach what I believe. Now, look at the next statement. Number nine, which statement is correct? Everlasting life can be lost because of backsliding. Everlasting life can be lost because of deep sinning. I mean, really, really bad. Everlasting life cannot be lost. Everlasting life cannot be lost, period. You say, but what if you backslide? Take your Bible, look in the book of Hebrews. Turn in the Bible to Hebrews and chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. It is the will of God that we serve Him and do right, but sometimes people don't always do right. So now notice what it says. In verse 38 of Hebrews chapter 10 says, Now the just, that's those who have been saved by faith, shall live by faith. It means that you read and study the Word of God and do what God wants you to do with your life. You take God at His Word. But, but, see that word, but, but, if any man draw back, and this is where people get the word backsliding, draw back. Some people can't backslide because they haven't gone far enough forward. But anyway, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. My soul shall have no pleasure in him. Did it say that you're lost now? Or did it say he's not pleased with you? Then look what he said in verse 39. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, to where you're lost, where you perish. We're not them. We don't believe that. And then he says, But of them that believe to the saving of the soul, even those that do not obey, And do right, and as he says up here in verse 26, look at verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. It means that if I really rebel against God in the future, and do all those deep, ugly sins, there's not going to be another sacrifice by Christ for those sins. And the reason is he already has paid them. You see, He died on the cross 2,000 years ago for all the sins before Him and after Him. You see, those sins have already been paid. Well, if those sins have been paid, I don't have any sins to pay for. The reason I can't go to hell today and the reason I can't go to hell today tomorrow, or any time in the future, is because I don't have any sins to pay for. Christ died and paid for all my sins. You say, well, you don't deserve that. I agree. But it's still the truth. I'm going to heaven not because of what I've done. I'm going to heaven because of what He did. And just like I will tell you, those bad deeds is not going to send me to hell. But I'll also tell you this. All of my Good deeds. Am I not a preacher? Oh, well, I get 10 brownie points for that. Uh, did I speak in different places this week and the radio and up there in uh, land of lakes? And I ought to get uh, another five points for that. So, if I was to list all the good deeds that I've done for the last 53 years, all those good deeds, they have nothing to do with me going to heaven. They can't even help me go to heaven. And those bad things that I do can't help me go to hell. You see, my destination is all based upon did I or did I not accept Christ as my Savior. So 53 years ago when I was 18 years old, I trusted Christ as my Savior and God gave me eternal life as a gift. He gave it to me because He loves me. I serve the Lord not to get to heaven, but because I'm going to heaven. And I don't want people rejecting the free gift of eternal life because of my sorry testimony. Therefore, I want to try to do what's right because I don't want to be a stumbling block to others that might stumble over something that I do. So yes, the Bible says that, uh, yes, you can slide back, but not you can't lose your salvation. We believe to the saving of the soul. You've got to go by what the book says. And in the Old Testament, you'll find an awful lot about backsliding Israel, backsliding, backsliding, backsliding. That's because he's talking to them as a nation. As a nation, they did this. And as a nation, they were to come to God. And as a nation, they were to humble themselves and seek His face, and I will heal their lands, and so forth. That was a promise to Israel. That's not a promise that if I do that, He's going to restore our country. A lot of people use that for that there, and you can apply that if you want to, but in its primary order and where it belongs to in context that was a reference to Israel, because they had done that. But anyway, look at the next point. Number 10, God puts His blessings upon religions and couldn't or wouldn't curse any message as long as the person preaching is sincere. And you know, sincerity is everything. A person's got to be sincere. And when you go to the medicine cabinet and you've got What you thought was aspirin and it was wife had put some arsenic in there by mistake. And you took the arsenic instead of the aspirin. Well, you're still dead. Has nothing to do with sincerity. It's like some people say, no. And I've done a lot of funerals. Here's a casket. There's a person. Now, if it's a shame, if it's an atheist, you know, all dressed up, nowhere to go. Or you say, this person is dead. There's another castle over there. That person is really dead. That person over there is gloriously dead. But then you're around and you say, when people get saved, oh, I was gloriously saved. What was you? Oh, I was just saved. Yes, but were you really saved? But you're either saved or you're lost. It's not that... He's saved, but she's really saved. And he's gloriously saved. Well, if he's saved, he's really saved. And if he's saved, he's gloriously saved. But you see, people try to put little tags on it as though it's it's something different in here about this. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, God gave you everlasting life, and he'll never lose you. And that is one glorious salvation. So the message here is... The answer is false. And I want you to look at a scripture with me. Look there in the first chapter of Galatians. Look in Galatians in chapter 1. What about people who preach another message? Even though, you know, they may not do it exactly like you do it. But they're just as sincere. I've heard that a lot. Okay. It's one thing if we're talking about the same message. And people preaching the same message, same gospel, with different motives, as he talks about in Thessalonians in chapter 2, which happened. And Paul was thankful, regardless of their motive, even though they were trying to add affliction to his bonds, at least they were preaching Christ. But that's not the case here. In verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ, into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert or change, alter the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, and so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. It is an accursed message. And there's a lot of preachers preaching the curse message in the people that are sitting there, what if he's me, I will swallow. Nope. And they have no clue that it's right or wrong. Because they don't know the Word of God. They don't listen. And you always remember, salvation is always by grace. Service for the believer is always distinguished between chastening and rewards. Keep them separate. Salvation is what Christ did for me. Service is what I do for Him. Salvation, going to heaven by grace, keeping me out of hell, is always the gift of God. It's because God loved me so much. And now because of what He's done for me, that can never be undone, can't be undone. Now I have something to motivate me for the rest of my life. And it's not so that He'll do this. He's already done that. It's my appreciation. It's my way of saying thank you. To the Lord for what He's done for me. And because of that, I want to serve Him. I want to live the way God wants me to live. But you'll notice up there when He says that in verse 6, called you into the grace of Christ, into another gospel. Another gospel has to be one that's not by grace. The grace of Christ is the gospel. Another gospel will have to add works to it in order to make it different. And things that are different are not the same. And so you have the gospel of Christ, and if you add one word to the message, you have ruined the gospel. And God says in His Word in the book of Galatians in chapter 5, He says, whenever you do this, He says, the message, as far as He's concerned, Christ has become no effect unto you. No effect. Christ cannot save anybody that's trying to save themselves. By what they do. And if you think going to church is helping, then He can't save you. Until you trust Him and Him alone as your only hope. Only hope. You can't put any hope in you. Or the church, or the preacher, or anybody. You can only put your hope in Christ. And what He did on that cross for you. You believe that. And God said He'll give you eternal life. And you don't have to go by your thrill or chill. All you know is I believe it, God says it, that settles it. And you'd be surprised, the peace and the joy that you can have for all eternity because of that. We need to move on. But look at the next statement. Number 12, which verse tells you that you can know that you have eternal life? Is there one of these verses that actually says you can know you have eternal life? There is one. How many of you know which one it is? Don't talk it out, just raise your hand. How many of you know which verse it is? Hezekiah 2.4? 1 John what? 5.13. Quote it with me. These things have I written unto you that keep the Ten Commandments and go to Calvary Community Church and pays 50%. Well, inflation, you know. 1 John 5.13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know you have eternal life. The Bible teaches that. Isn't that a good thing? Look at the next statement. Number 13, give the reference that tells us what the payment for sin is. What is the payment for sin? We've already told you what it is. It's death. But which one of these verses? See, you need to know where it's found. Learn the Word of God. Where is it found that says what the wages of sin is? Which one is it? Romans 6.23, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Number 14, what verse says we become the sons of God by receiving Him? Which one of these verses says this? See, every one of y'all, these are not hard questions, but every child of God ought to know them. If you ever want to explain the gospel to somebody, what I'm talking about this morning, you need to understand. It'll help you to be a more effective testimony, a witness, because they will have questions on exactly what I'm talking about right here. These are the questions that the people ask. I've been doing this for a long time, and I've got more to come. But I want you to see that this can help you to be armed, to be ready. To give an answer to everyone that ask a reason. Why do you believe what you believe? How do you know it's true? You can say it, but can you show me that in the Bible? Show me that in the Bible. You say, no problem. 1 John 5, 13. See right there? It says that you can know you have it. I led a man to the Lord simply because I not only told him about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I showed it to him. And he took and looked at the other guys. He said, you fellas sit down and shut up. It's in the book. And they were fixing to kill me. These were some men that were fixing to do away with me that night, and I didn't know it. But because of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, they trusted Christ as their Savior, and later on became the leaders in the church up in northern Minnesota. Get a chance. You get that book I wrote on the Dora Lake story. All that's in there. I didn't tell a part about they were going to do me in. That's a powerful verse. Powerful verse. Because... Otherwise, sometimes it's just you saying it, but when they see it in black and white, they see That's in the Bible. The Bible says that. So you want to have power in your life, learn the Word. There's power in knowledge. Learn it. Look at the next statement. Number 15, the doctrine of eternal security is synonymous with the doctrine of salvation. That is true. You see, eternal security is not a separate doctrine in the Gospel. It is the Gospel. Eternal security is the gospel, that's how you know you really believe it's by grace. If any person tell you that they believe you're saved by grace, but you can lose it, they don't believe in grace. And if they don't teach that you can be saved forever and never lose it, you have eternal security, if they don't believe it, they don't believe salvation by grace. They're telling you that, but they don't believe that. Because if they say you can lose it, why can you lose it? Because you don't do something right. So then your heaven... Depends on you living. And you don't live right, you don't get it. The only way you can know that you're going to heaven is that it's given to you as a free gift. Totally free, with no strings attached. Isn't that good liberty? Now I'm free to serve God, because I don't have to. I'm not in bondage that I have to do it. There's no law that says I have to go to church, that I have to do that. I I don't have to do anything. I do it because I want to. That's so much better. Do you want your kids to love you because they have to, or would you like to give them a choice? Well, I don't know. You want them to love you because they really love you. Wouldn't you like it if they obeyed you because they wanted to instead of, if I don't, daddy's going to get that razor strap again. And they do it out of total fear of you. You know, some guys are just plain monsters. And they're like dictators. I've been accused of everything. I'm really a nice guy, though. Look at the last statement here. After you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you should trust Him with every area of your life, believing His way is the best. You say that true? All right, that's where we are. This is where we are. You've trusted Christ as your Savior. Should we serve the Lord because we know God knows what's best for our life? We are His children and the sheep of His pastor. And He is the one that knows us and loves us and has a purpose for our life. And we should, yes, we should serve the Lord. As a child of God, shouldn't I depart from iniquity? Shouldn't I clean up my life? And if I am a child of God, shouldn't I allow the Lord who loves me to lead me and guide me? Shouldn't I do as that song we just sung just a moment ago, the choir did, I surrender all? Shouldn't we surrender to Him and not fight against God? Why should we argue against God as though you can win? Shouldn't you just... See, years ago, in Athens, Georgia, about 51 years ago, I was sitting in the church just like this, sitting there by halfway. And the preacher, I don't know what he said... I don't know what the choir song. I don't have a nickel. All I know is the invitation song. And everybody was standing, and they were just singing this as a closing song. And as they sung that song, and I was standing up there, and I got tears in my eyes. I mean, I stood there, and I cried. I said, Lord, I surrender everything that I have, everything that I am. I, I surrender my family, job that I didn't have, anything that I had. I give it everything to you. And if I remember correctly, I think I might have come down to their front and I knelt at the front and sobbed like a baby. Nobody made me do that. I did because I wanted to. But I remember that incident. I remember standing there. I remember that song. Because see, nobody can make me do anything. And I'm so glad. Because, see, trusting Christ as your Savior, you can't make somebody else trust the Lord. It's a choice. It's the, the, your own will. When it comes to serving the Lord, it's your own choice. Nobody can make you serve the Lord. But if you really appreciate what God's done for you, He said, I be seated therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the world. A lot of them are. But be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or discover what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, God has something perfect for every one of His children. A lot of them will never find it because they'll never renew their mind. You can't live the great Christian life with the same mind you had before you got saved. God wants to renew your mind with His Word so that you'll think the way He wants you to think, so that you'll do what He wants you to do. Letting this hand represent you and me. This wall represents sin. The Bible says we're all sinners. That's on the paper. We're all sinners. And that the Bible says that the wage of sin is death. It's in the notes. The wages of sin is death. We all sin. We all have to die. And to be separated from God. But God loves us wants us to go to heaven. To go to heaven, you have to be not pretty good. You have to be perfect. As righteous as God Himself. And we're not, we've all come short of God's perfection. So God says, You cannot save yourself. Your good deeds will never pay for your sins. All of your good deeds will never pay for one sin. Death's the payment for sin. So Christ, this hand representing Christ, came into the world because He loves us, hates our sin because it separates us from Him. So Christ took all the sin, all of it, past, present, future paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. He says, if you will believe he did it for you, he would put the payment to your account and you get to go to heaven on what Christ did. That's a gift. It's free. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And God says, when I give it to you, it's eternal life. He says, I give unto you eternal life and no man can pluck you out of my hand. See, when you trust Christ as your Savior, you are trusting him to save you. And he said, he will never cast you out. He said, he'll never lose you. He says, no man can pluck you out of his hand. I'm going to heaven. Not according to my strength. See, I'm not hanging on to God. God hanging on to me. And I can't lose my salvation. I don't have it. He does. He is saving me. He's the Savior. So I am as safe as God is in keeping his word. So, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, He gave you as a free gift everlasting life, and you go to heaven on what He did for you. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, and no one looking around. Think just for a moment. Hope you enjoyed your little test. Hope you got 100. But if you got something wrong, you might need to look at it. But right now, in the quietness of this moment, I want to ask you this question If you died today, would you go to heaven? If you died right now, would you go to heaven? Are you positive? How do you know? The only way you can know that you're going to heaven is did you trust Christ and Him alone as your only hope of going to heaven? You may have heard about it, but did you add things to it? Have you added on to that right now in the quietness of this moment, just between you and the Lord? Would you just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I believe Christ died for all of my sins? And right now, I will accept the payment Christ made for me. And friend, God said if you would trust him, he would save you, give you eternal life. You can know that you're going to heaven. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And I want to know because I want to have prayer for you. Is there anyone at all Say yes, pray for me. I will trust Christ as my Savior this morning. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is there anyone at all? If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you have the knowledge, the tools to share that knowledge with somebody else. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one. We pray, Lord, for a great Sunday next Sunday with many people come. Help each one here to have a burden for souls. To try to fulfill their responsibility to reach as many as we can while we can. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.